Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here with Peter Lovenheim, the author of The Attachment Effect, exploring the powerful ways our earliest bond shapes our relationships and lives. Peter is an author and journalist whose articles and essays have appeared in the New York Times, Parade, the Washington Post. He spent six years talking with the world's top experts on the science of attachment to write this book, The Attachment Effect. If you feel like you've got a rebellious teenager who shuts down and is emotionally distant, or if you feel like you have a teenager who is emotionally unsteady and they're on a roller coaster and you never know what you're going to get or whether they might explode for no reason, you are going to want to listen to this episode because we are going to be talking about how those types of behaviors are linked to your teenager's attachment style, which was created during the first three years of their life. This explains how your teenager deals with setbacks and emotions, and it also explains how they connect with other people. We're also going to dive into some specific examples of how attachment styles influence teenagers and how parents should respond to those situations. So can't wait to dive into the science of attachment. Peter, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I read your book, The Attachment Effect, exploring the powerful ways our earliest bond shapes our relationships and lives. And it's really about how powerfully that first year of life kind of sets us up with certain patterns to, to think in certain ways and act in certain ways in our relationships. And I found this book fascinating. You talk in here about sort of your journey into this topic. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. What interested you about attachment? Okay, so after a 20-year marriage, I was single again and dating uh, in a relationship. But this relationship um, was somewhat problematic. It had a lot of ups and downs, makeups and breakups. It was tempestuous. And I had never experienced that before. And I was curious why that was. Then one day I was visiting my daughter at her college dormitory. She was a psych major. And I was just leafing through her Psych 101 textbook and came across this thing called attachment theory, which I had never heard of. But in one section of the text, the authors describe what happens when two people with different attachment styles try to form a couple. Mm -hmm. And it said, in that particular case, the couple can experience 
many makeups and breakups and <laughs> the relationship can be tempestuous. And it went on to describe to a T what I had been experiencing. Wow. So I was intrigued and I wanted to learn more. And uh, for the next six years, I spent talking to experts in attachment worldwide, reading many, many studies. And I found it so compelling and so important that I felt I wanted to share this with other people who were also not scientists. I'm not a scientist, not a psychologist, but that's how I got into it, uh, the subject of attachment. And you really, I mean, you point out in this book, all these connections um, where attachment styles, how they can play out in politics and in the workplace and in our families and in really just every aspect of our lives. And um, you start to see when you read this book, these patterns over and over again. And uh, I think it's really powerful. It's really eye-opening. And as parents, I think it's really, really important information to know. Our listeners are parents of teenagers. So um, I, I think that a lot of the stuff I read in this book feels like really, really relevant to what I hear parents talking about in their families um, and what they're going through with their teenagers. And specifically, you talk about there's like these three different styles of attachment. What are those? Uh, and I guess then there's a fourth style that's just uh, more rare, but can be pretty problematic as well. Right. The three basic attachment styles we call secure attachment, and then two forms of insecure called insecure avoidant and insecure uh, anxious. And these three types define about 95% of us. Maybe I should back up here and just put in a nutshell, what, what is attachment theory? So here, here's the core concept that as human beings, we are born helpless and we are hardwired from birth, therefore, to seek out and attach to a competent, reliable caregiver for protection, because without that, we won't survive. The quality of that attachment, whether it's secure and stable or insecure or even absent, actually shapes the developing brain and will determine how that individual behaves throughout life in regard to issues like trust, relationship stability, and resilience. That is um, reaction to loss, threats, or setbacks. So that earliest attachment, and it's usually with the mother, doesn't have to be gender specific. It can be with the father, with a grandparent, with another caregiver. But the quality of that first relationship from birth to maybe up to age three is going to determine a very important piece of that individual's personality going forward throughout life. Yeah. And so the, the experiences that we have during those first years with that caregiver sort of shape us in some way. And how do we know this isn't like genetic, you know? How do we know this is not something that we're kind of just, we're born to behave in certain ways? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And But there have been many studies showing that even when we um, account for genetics um, and environment, 
um, attachment plays a key role. I mean, attachment isn't everything. There are other influences sure. on personality. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned genetics, temperament, a home environment. But attachment is a very big thing. People in science who, who study this and work with it, I can, t I can illustrate in an odd way how much they value attachment theory. Because in the entire world, there are only two mountains that have been named after psychologists. And it's not Freud, and it's not Dr. Phil or Dr. Rue. The mountains are called Mount John Bowlby and Mount Mary Ainsworth. John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth were the two people who developed attachment theory back in around 1950, 1960s. And their colleagues in the field of psychology have honored them by naming mountains after them. That's how significant it is. So how does it work then? What is it about that relationship with the primary caregiver that leads to the three different styles of attachment? Well, it's the, the infant's experience during those first three years. So if, you, if an infant experiences uh, a loving, sensitive, stable relationship with the primary caregiver, again, that's usually the mom, the studies show that that individual will grow up to have what we call secure attachment. Yeah. In, in general, that individual will find it easy to trust other people, be comfortable with intimacy, and have resilience when faced with the normal setbacks in life. Could be illness, loss, injury, job loss, breakup of a relationship. Fortunately, about 55% of people come out of early childhood with a secure attachment. So they get the big prize. And they're the ones who are most likely to enjoy long, stable relationships throughout life. They make very good marriage partners, for example. So what about the others? Uh, if an infant does not experience a stable, secure attachment with its primary caregiver, but instead there is really no relationship you know, maybe there's just nobody caring for this child regularly. Maybe the kind of care is just not attuned to what the child needs at the time. That child will grow up with what we call an avoidant attachment. And that individual is likely to have difficulty trusting other people, does not feel comfortable with intimacy. In fact, doesn't even see the whole point of relationships. They, they instead prize independence and self-reliance. About 25% of the population will have uh, uh, an avoidant attachment. And then the third one is insecure, anxious attachment. That happens when the, when the infant sometimes receives that sensitive, reliable care and sometimes does not. They're, they're left in a limbo where they never know whether they're gonna get that, that kind of responsive care. And uh, as an adult, that individual um, is going to crave being in a relationship. 
they feel like they're not full unless they have a relationship with, with another person. And yet at the same time, they, they find it difficult to trust that relationship. So there's always a kind of push-pull aspect to their relationships. And they also do not have resilience. If, for example, they experience the breakup of a romantic relationship, um, they're having to have a really hard time with that. They're, they're the ones that are gonna fall apart. Similarly, if they lose a job, um, if they become ill, um, if, if some other loss is what they, they experience. So secure 55%, avoidant 25%, and that 15% um, is uh, for insecure, anxious. Yeah. And so I think it, all parents feel like, well, yeah, we did that. We did love, we were loving, we're great. We changed all the diapers. And um, we put up with all the, you know, we didn't really, we weren't violent. Um, so it should all, we should be secure, right? How is it only 50%? Well, the, the problem is that it's, it's a little trickier than it sounds. Yeah. Because this is not about the, the amount of time we spend with our, our youngsters. Yeah. It's about the quality of that time and what researchers call attunement. The issue is, is the parent attuned to the needs of the infant at that moment? Sometimes you'll see like a baby and you might perceive that that baby is tired and wants to be settled and quiet. But maybe the parent doesn't perceive that. Instead, they're bouncing the baby on their lap. You know, they're jiggling things in front of the baby's face. Uh, they're feeding the baby when he's not hungry. That's that's not attunement, right. and that kind of of childcare, consistently provided like that, will not produce a secure attachment. So some parents just kind of are more better at tuning into their baby and knowing what their baby is feeling and wanting, and other parents are just not as good at that. And uh, I think some 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 parents do it intuitively, but yeah. other parents, if they become knowledgeable about the importance of attachment, they can learn to provide that type of care. I, I think that that raising emotionally healthy children is about the most important thing any of us can do. Well, so if you have a teenager who's already kind of been through that first three years already, you know, is there a way to figure out what their attachment type is right now based on just kind of what they went through during those first three years or? Well, um, I think that's an excellent time for parents to try to figure out what their children's attachment style is. You can't do it by just thinking back okay. because... Uh, memory is not reliable, and we all have biases when we think about our own behaviors as parents. Yeah, we're all going to think I did a great job, and they're secure. Right? Yeah, right. it's great. <laughs> right. Um, but there are there are ways of determining our own attachment style or our children's attachment style. Okay. Yeah. So, for very young children, like up to age three, there's what's called the strange situation, which is a laboratory uh, test that is, is widely used with, with very young children. But for teens, um, there, there are probably two ways of measuring 
uh, your teenager's attachment style. One is there's a, um, there's a very simple five minute quiz uh, called the attachment quiz in, in, in colloquial terms. Yeah. I, I reproduce it in the back of my book, but it's widely available online as well. And you could ask your uh, teenager to take the quiz and it'll give you a pretty pretty rough but, but reliable sense of what their attachment style is. If you want something more reliable than that, the gold standard for measuring attachment in uh, adults, including teens, is what's called the adult attachment interview. Okay. And this is a one-hour scripted interview that psychologists who are trained in this can, can do. And it will give you a very reliable reading of your of your teen's attachment style. And then, so how's that going to help you? What are you going to do with this information once you know what your uh, attachment style of your teenager is? If I were a parent of a teenager, this information would give me uh, tremendously valuable information. Okay. Because so many of the effects of early attachment actually kick in in the teen years for the first time. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, it's when, you know, many people start forming their first romantic relationships. It's when most teens start having best friends, yeah, which is right. another important part of relationship. It's when teens are dealing with loss and setbacks for the first time maybe not getting into the college they want, maybe yeah, being left out of the right. sports team, maybe being broken up with by a good friend or doing poorly in, in the school subject they care about. So uh, the teenage years is, is a great time to understand your teen's attachment style. And so what do you do with the information? I mean, your question is, is a good one. I'll give you an example. Uh, if I were to uh, learn that my teenager had an insecure, anxious attachment. That's the one where they, they really crave relationships, but don't trust them. And they, they don't do well with setbacks. If that was my teen's attachment style, that would give me a very important tool in helping to support my son or daughter through some very difficult uh, events that they may be facing. So for example, if, if, um, if, if my insecure, anxious teen experienced a um, relationship breakup in high school, yeah. I would know not to simply say to, to my teen, oh, you'll get over it. You know, it's not a big thing. It's puppy love. You're, you know, you'll have, there's many more fish in the sea, right? Yeah, right. Many of us heard that in high school, but that is not going to help my, my insecure, anxious teen deal with this. Instead, I'd want to validate what they're feeling, you know, make clear I understand how painful that is and spend more time uh, with that teen until they got through, through the loss, because I know that they simply don't have quite the level of resilience that another teen with a secure attachment might. I like that. Yeah. So you'd want to work with them on their coping, coping skills really specifically. And um, I wonder if you would 
try to encourage them to try more things out or like do do more things um, or like to push them beyond their comfort zone a little bit or um, is that not a good idea because then they might get into um, situations that are like yeah I, I would not push push an, an anxious teen too far beyond their comfort zone yeah that's not how they're going to grow okay they will grow but but they're going to grow from having a sense of security that I can give them yeah. as, as a responsive, sensitive dad. Let me give you another example. Let's say, let's say I knew my teen had an insecure avoidant attachment. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's one that that's the one where, where they don't feel comfortable with intimacy. They much prefer to be independent and self-reliant. One of the things a lot of teens do is pick a sport to be involved in. Yeah. Right. If my teen was avoidant in terms of attachment, that would suggest to me that they would do better in a sport where they play on their own mm. rather than as a member of a team. Yeah. I'd rather have them go out for singles tennis, let's say, rather than basketball. I'd rather have them do a sport where they can be self-reliant, enjoy that independence and not have to have relationships with, you know, five or 10 or 15 other, other teens, even just to participate in the team because they're not cut out for it. We're here with Peter Lovenheim talking about how the attachments your teenager formed during the first three years of life are still influencing them and we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. And are people more likely to be interested in substances and alcohol and drug use and vaping and stuff like that? with the insecure attachment, you think, or? Yes, I think, yeah, I think that's sort of a given. If you come out of early childhood with an insecure attachment, while three quarters of individuals will stay with that attachment type throughout life, it is possible to change. Mm. And the teenage years are a really good time to start working on that. There was a very interesting Israeli study done a few years ago where they brought a group of people into a laboratory and they had a computer set up that was pre-programmed to start smoking at a particular moment, like it was going to burst into flames, right? <laughs> okay. But the, but the participants didn't know this. Okay. So, so this group of like 10 people are put in a room with a, with a computer Sure enough, the computer starts smoking. <laughs> but beforehand, the researchers had uh, learned the attachment styles of all the people in the room. So in this study, they found that the people who detected the smoke first were those with an insecure, anxious attachment. Yeah. Because they're more attuned to threats. Yeah. One of the things they're good at. And the people in the room who were the first to find the exit and get out were the people with the avoidant attachments because they're more inclined to independent self-reliant action. And it's a good illustration how even with these insecure attachments, if we understand them, you know, they do have their advantages 
So it's really just about recognizing it and then using that information to help guide your team going forward. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening.